This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're going to be talking about Stan today, the uh, subscription video service launched less than two years ago. Seems like ages. We're joined by Mike Sneesby, Chief Executive Officer, Nick Forward, the Chief Content Officer, and joining me to drill them today is Dan Barrett, Media Week Deputy Editor. Welcome, Dan. Hi, James. Hello, guests. Look, yeah, can you look, 18 months. Is that it? 18 months, absolutely flown by. Um, So... January of uh, 2015, we launched the service on Australia Day, and um, you know now you kind of look back over what's happened uh, in 18 months, and it's uh, as much as there was a lot of expectation around this category to take off so quickly. It is unbelievable to see how quickly streaming has taken off and how quickly consumer behaviour around viewing television has changed in a very short space of time. Yeah, now uh, that that's uh, Mike talking there, the deep husky voice. Now, Mike, um, <laughs> Streamco was the sort of name, wasn't it, before the um, before you revealed? There was lots of speculation about what the company was called. It was quite a clever move back then, wasn't it? Because you got lots of people chatting. No, nobody ever knew exactly what you were up to. Yeah, look, um, you know, as much as it, thanks for the compliment about being the clever move, but really, um, <laughs> you know, we we set out very clearly with um, our. Our first shareholder, which was um, Nine Entertainment Company, um, before Fairfax joined the venture um, during our pre-launch phase. And reality was back then, um, we called it Streamco because we needed to set up an entity and start building a platform, acquiring content, and working on our marketing and launch plans. And um, as soon as we got to a point where we'd uh, decided on the right go-to-market strategy and the right branding strategy, uh, we announced the brand name Stan. So Streamco was always the uh you know the, the title of the company that we we built the business from to begin with before launch was it your idea i mean so look i where, think where originally channel nine and uh david coleman who some of will remember was the uh director of strategy at channel nine um before he went into uh into politics um they were looking very closely at the streaming category they were looking at what was happening overseas um with the trends particularly in the us and the uk and what was happening with netflix uh, and from the get-go, we're very, very bullish about the streaming category. And it was um, sort of from around around that point um, with uh, David Coleman putting together some early ideas, um, which was then handed over to me to build a business plan uh, to bring together the joint venture partners and ultimately launch this service in the Australian market. Were you on the payroll at 9MSN then? What was the connection? Uh, so I was actually, as much as I was um, at 9MSN uh, a few years prior running strategy and business development. I did a stint overseas in the Middle East running a, uh, an internet TV startup over there. And then I actually came back um, to take Kudo, the group buying company, through its sale process. It was sold to uh, Aussie Commerce. So um, I came off the back of that sale and almost uh, right away started on, uh, on the plans for building this venture. Right. Yep. And then you got Fairfax. And that was and that was the end of two thousand and thirteen. Yeah. And then you got Fairfax involved, and yeah, Fairfax came in uh, about midway through two thousand and fourteen. Um, so about halfway through the sort of pre-launch phase, um, and um, saw us into the launch of the service in uh, January two thousand fifteen. So I remember that first um, the first sort of reveal. I think was a press conference you had down at the Hyatt. Um yeah. On the, the, the rocks down there, yep. the hotel. And I think you were there that day, weren't you, Nick, yeah, when I um, first came in contact with you and you laid it out. And a lot of people thought it was pretty ambitious, but you sort of uh, laid your whole business plan out. You were, weren't hiding anything, were you? You had, the, you had projections of all your audiences over the, the first few yeah. years, um, when you'd start to make money, how much everyone was investing. Absolutely. Look, I think, um, you know, we've been, we've both been both bullish about the category, but confident about this business from, from the get-go. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that we've consistently done through the process, both in pre-launch and since we've launched the service, has been quite transparent about where the, the numbers are up to. We've talked about where our subscriber numbers are at. Are at. Uh, generally speaking, other players in the category don't tend to do that. Um, and as you say, prior to launching, we had a very clear plan. We outlined what that plan was and we said what we're going to go and do. Um, ultimately, um, we've managed to go and achieve that. And I think, um, you know, had it... Had the um, had the market been um, you know slower or had things turned out differently, we would have been equally transparent about the um, you know the progress of the business. But I think, as I said, it's been a, a phenomenally fast rise of streaming in Australia in eighteen months, and um, you know we're just delighted that we're part of the category and having such a you know a great run as we build the business. 
How important was it for you to make sure you were beating Netflix to market in Australia? Uh, look, the objective wasn't really about beating Netflix to market. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk generally around, you know, the, the benefits of being a first mover, those sorts of things. Mm. It certainly wasn't, um, you know, we didn't think that being in market in January ahead of a, a March launch of Netflix was going to give us a, a major competitive advantage. I think what's more important, and this is part of uh, what was announced in the November update November 2014 prior to us launching was securing very important content rights and, and as we know this business is all about premium content um, and having the right platform to deliver it on and being able to market it effectively at the right price point to consumers so what was more important was getting in there and signing up some really important deals and that first deal that we announced uh, back when we announced the brand um, with Rebel Wilson on that November update um, was the, the Sony deal, which included the exclusive rights to Better Call Saul, um, the, the Breaking Bad um, series as part of our exclusive SVODs, as well as a number of titles like Transparent and Mozart in the Jungle. And yeah. uh, it's, it's all about locking up that content. Yeah, without launching earlier, though, surely you get lost a little bit in the marketing hype surrounding Netflix. Like, it's such a ubiquitous name when it comes to streaming. And all the stories around Netflix when it did launch, we're very much comparing it to Presto and Stan. I feel you guys got a bit of a bump sort of through that Netflix conversation. Oh, look, it's certainly important. Like, we would not have wanted to be, you know, launching significantly later than mm. Netflix in the market. Um, so there's no doubt. And I, and I, I look at this across the board um, today. We absolutely, and we don't say this because we're being polite to other players in the category like Netflix, but genuinely, this is a category um, job for us to do at the moment. The, the category is growing very quickly, but you know, we talk about the number of households, depending on whose data you look at. You know, we think it's somewhere between 1.5 up to maybe 2 million households in Australia. Um, there's a long way to go. There's another 6, 7 million households yet in terms of growth of this category and so it really is about growing the category when when we're promoting our product the category grows when netflix promotes their product the category grows so absolutely when netflix launched we saw the market tick up another notch when we've got campaigns out there we look at the search uh, results across all players in the market and the reality is when anyone's marketing hard in this category all boats lift yeah. And how gentlemanly are you with the composition? Like, is it generally sort of handshakes all around? Or is it kind of more like Anchorman where you're out there on the street with, you know, um, knives and, you know, broadswords? <laughs> I'm just picturing Nick over there sort of wielding a mace. Well, I think you, I think you guys know me very well. I'm, I'm gentlemanly um, <laughs> at, at any and every time and opportunity. Um, <laughs> but look, as I, as I say, you know, you look at, you look at this as a category um, and category growth and there's absolutely no... There's nothing to be gained by being negative about competitors or about um, their propositions in market. I think um, mm. what we do is we focus on bringing a brilliant product to the market with Stan um, and that delivering us results. And so, and I've consistently said that. We go out, we acquire the best content from studios and networks around the world. We're producing amazing original content here in Australia and we deliver it all for 10 bucks a month. It's very simple. And then we just market that as hard as we possibly can and that's you know that's what we're all about yeah would you how how price sensitive is the market from what you've found out look i mean we obviously do a lot of research we did a lot of research before launching the product we continue to research the market both in brand and and price points um i think ultimately what it comes back to is aussies are looking for great value in content and i think prior to us launching this we saw you know that I think that the typical rhetoric that you saw in the market um, back in sort of 2013, 2014, prior to streaming taking off, you know, a lot of uh, industry people saying that Australian was one of these markets that doesn't pay for content because pay TV penetration was one of the lowest in the world, piracy was very high. So the, the, the natural conclusion from that was, well, Aussies don't pay. But the reality of the research and what the research told us was it wasn't that Aussies don't pay for content, it was that... Aussies are only prepared to pay for content if it's value for money. And so, you know, we set about fixing a, a price point. Um, you know, $10, $10 a month has been brilliant for us. It's the it's price point that you know, ourselves and Netflix kind of enter the market at. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see major changes to that, that sort of price point. I think there's a big gap, obviously, between 
where SVOD enters the market and where pay TV traditionally sits. Um, and we've sort of heard recently from um, Peter Tonner talking that there's probably a, a world where they take uh, Foxtel Play more heavily into that sort of mid-tier. But for the streaming market, I think, you know, down around the $10 price point is, is the place where consumers expect to see it. Nick, uh, talk to us a little bit about the content. I was looking back through some of my files today and you had uh, seemed in, just prior to launch you had a release for a new content deal almost every fortnight back then, as I guess you were building the bed of um, of catalogue you needed to amass a certain amount before you launched. Yeah, I mean, the reason we were announcing so many deals is we were doing so many deals. There was a point there where it was every week we were signing one or two deals and obviously we need to let the world know about them. But, you know, for me, it was crucial to have a look at what the, what the landscape had looked like overseas. So... You know, analysing what had worked for Netflix and what had worked for Amazon, particularly in the UK and the US, I think was really important as we built out a content strategy. And, and the closer we got to launch, the more and more clear it became, particularly as, as, uh, uh, particularly as, as Netflix became more aggressive in creating their own content, that having you know, first-run exclusive premieres were what helped it define a brand like Stan, and it, it, you know, as much as there's a huge amount of work done in marketing and proposition, in the end, what what it is that consumers experience with a brand is the content that they watch. So having shows that really felt like ten poles that you could really hang your hat on was super important. And things like Better Call Saul and, and Transparent, particularly to start off with, but but then subsequently, you know, shows like um, you know Billions with the Showtime deal and and Sherlock are, are just you know some of the very best shows in the world. And to have them exclusively and premiering on the platform fast track from the states and and the UK is is what makes these services premium. Your background, um, you weren't that well known to some people here because you worked out of the country for a long time, hadn't you? Just tell us a little bit about the experience you've pulled on from uh, particularly the UK. Yeah, so I I, uh, spent about 12 years uh, in London working uh, at the two big pay TV companies over there. So so the first being Sky, uh, where I uh, started off uh, working in scheduling and programming for the the Sky Movies subscription service um, and moved through a variety of kind of marketing roles to eventually running their uh, on-demand service to the set-top box. Uh, I then jumped ship to uh, Virgin Media where, again, a number of roles, starting off with running the VOD service but uh, moving into eventually managing the whole TV platform which um, which included the TiVo set-top box. So I'd come very much from a content background but also from a, from a product management background as well. Yeah. Um, so much of the content discussion around Stan is really related to the TV content. Obviously, you've got a fairly rich film library as well. Like, How important is the film library to Stan both from that marketing perspective uh, to get people through the door but also, I guess, maybe once they're through the gates and you are sort of keeping them on the service. Like- oh, look, movies are, are very important, but it goes back to what I was saying about learning from, I think, probably some of the the, the mistakes and, and some of the successes from overseas platforms. So, you know, Love Film was a platform that really went movie first and mm. uh, into the streaming uh, business and really suffered a lot as a result next to Netflix uh, in its early years over in the UK and, and has gone from strength to strength since it, it, it refocused on TV. So I think your really key marketable titles that you own completely are TV, but that doesn't in any way degrade the importance of, of movies on the platform, particularly for consumption once people get in there. I think having having a rich library of... And a rich and varied library, so we have everything from pay one uh, exclusive titles from Roadshow through to a really rich uh, library of world movies that we, we work with SBS on and a whole pile of, of both independent and kind of commercial films in between. I think having that, that variety is what's really important for an SVOD service. Yeah, and do you find the viewership leans much more towards the well-known films or is it really people sort of doing discovery while they're within the ecosystem? Oh, look, the big films do as you would expect the big films to do. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the, the likes of the Lego movie and Mad Max do do extraordinarily well. But there's a real audience. There's, I, I think until you had these platforms launched, there wasn't necessarily a place where you could go and find these sort of films, certainly with, with kind of the death of the high street DVD store. Um, yeah. There's not been a lot of places you can go and find a lot of these titles that have such a kind of a rich repository like uh, the likes of which both uh, ourselves and Netflix can supply. So there's a real, there's a broad range of viewing and obviously the more popular titles are viewed more popularly, but everything kind of gets seen. Yeah, it seems like the modern day like new film canon seems to be really what you find on streaming services rather than other platforms. Yeah, I think so. And I think it, it's bringing an audience to films that I think 
you know, uh, you know, it, it's 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 harder and harder for particularly for independent films to find wide releases in cinemas. It's expensive mm. and it's difficult. Um, so I think what what we can provide as 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 big platforms with you know with large customer bases is a, is a place where they can go and find an audience that that even you know that they couldn't even find on tv previously yeah now in terms of the originals uh there was a comment made by the cfo of netflix last week i think where he was talking about aiming for 50 percent of content on their platform would be originals now obviously you guys being a small australian player you can't play on that big global scale but i mean mike you've said this before mm. in the past that the way that stands trying to position itself is really trying to cater towards the stuff that isn't netflix content so really finding those sort of gems that sort of exist out there and bring that to an australian audience that way and that's the real sort of point of competition now with netflix doing 50 percent of their content being originals uh, some rough math at my end that's pretty much 1.3 new shows every week that they're going to be launching throughout the year like, does that put pressure on you guys to have to really step it up and make sure you've got new content being released on that regular basis? Yeah, look, I think um, what certainly is, a, you know, something that consumers demand is fresh content all the time. Mm. Um, you know, and we've consistently gone out there with that that beat and we've, we've shown a lineup just recently to... Um, to publicly and, and through the media um, for the current year lineup, which has us at about 28. 28 probably will end up greater than that. So we're at a, at a rate of more than one show or one uh, new uh, exclusive premiere on the platform um, inside of every two weeks, so mm. less than every two weeks. Um, and our positioning, as you said before, really is around, um, you know, as Netflix is what they're effectively doing is shifting more and more of their, you know, their dollars that traditionally would have been in um, investing in premium first-run shows that are created by the studios and networks, they're shifting across to their own original production. So our very clear differentiation, It's a, I mean, at the end of the day, you look at the shows that are coming out of the studios and the networks, and in particular, um, what's coming out of Showtime, and I, obviously I say this because we have an output deal, but at the same time, I think any person can go and compare um, Showtime lineup versus um, other networks, and you know we believe hands down it is the best lineup coming out of um, out of uh, network television um, in the US. So we're really positioned as a business that's bringing the best studio shows, the best network shows, and because the Netflix strategy is moving in that direction, it's actually somewhat positive for us because mm. obviously that demand for those great shows doesn't go away. Consumers still want to see the best shows from the networks and the studios. We're filling that gap. Um, you know, Netflix moves more and more to their originals. And then our originals really step in from the local side of things. And for those people who've seen No Activity or Wolf Creek, you'll see that they have, you know, a uniqueness about them that is truly Australian. And whilst we make shows that can also translate internationally, um, you'll see a grittiness and an edginess to our television programming originals over here that just adds that absolutely local uh, feel, which I think... I think even in a world where international players produce content locally, um, you know, I think it'll be difficult unless you're on the ground and we've got the team with Nick and Rob Gibson over there who's working closely with the screen organisations, working closely on the ground with talent at grassroots, um, creating television programs. You know, you can't fake that stuff. Um, and so the product that you see on the screen on Stan from our Stan Originals is genuine Aussie stuff that people can relate to. Yeah. Uh, you've also got a slightly different um, model really in place where a lot of the content you're bringing to the platform, so not the Stan Originals, but just, you know, through the Showtime deal, mm. are weekly episodics as opposed to Netflix, which are doing same-day dumps for an entire mm. season. So is there any real conversations you need to have with the marketplace to sort of set expectations differently for what Stan are offering against the Netflix season dump? Yeah, look, look some of our shows um, that come through the studio and network deals uh, week by week drops. If, you, if um, you've seen Transparent, which uh, had its third season premiere over the weekend mm. um, through our Sony distribution deal, um, is made available to us all in one lot. Um, so we have a combination of both. Um, and look, I think if we had our perfect world, we would get access to every show uh, in a single lot. But obviously, um, when you're taking massive premium shows uh, and you're delivering them to consumers on the same day as they're being broadcast in the US, um, there is still the concept of you know weekly episodics that are running on, on US networks. And look, over time, um, that may change. We're seeing some of the shows... Uh, that have come out of the networks even where they've decided to uh, to premiere the entire season in a single lot. So I think, you know, um, network um, behaviour is changing. Um, but look, at the end of the day, we'd, we get everything at the same time as it's coming fast track from the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, as a company where you're trying to keep as many people on the platform at once as possible, 
Does it work better for you having season drops or is episodics actually the better way to drive it? Look, as a philosophy for us, um, giving the consumer what they want has always been our preference. And so mm. if you give a consumer entire season in one go, they can choose if they want to watch one episode a week or they can choose if they want to watch binge the whole you know, the whole season in a single sitting. And, I, you know, it would be our preference at any point in time to, to drop the whole season. It's just, you know, again, with these massive shows on massive budgets from networks rolling out on uh, US networks at certain times, um, it means we, we stick with the weekly schedule. But, I mean, the good news for anyone in Australia, which I think if we take the feedback from the market, the biggest issue that Aussies have had um, typically with premium content from network television has been that um, traditional TV businesses have tended to sit on it even though it's been broadcast in the US. Um, we fast track it absolutely the day that it's broadcast in the US and we don't hold it back and that's, you know, that's a, an important philosophy for us. Yeah. I was just wondering how much of this is about perception, you know. You, like I know you guys have Mad Max Fury Road, then to me your movie, movie offering seems brilliant. Even if there's not much else I might delve into, you know, or the Showtime deal, that meets a lot of my viewing requirements. So I think, wow, you know, it's a, it's a really good library, even though I don't really delve into your back catalogue. Can people get too excited about masses of content? Do you just need to keep a perception that, that there's lots of sort of, I don't know, um, trigger things that might keep people renewing their subscriptions? Oh, I do. I- I'm obviously slightly biased, but I think you know, top top to bottom, from the most high profile shows to some of the nichiest content, I think we've got a fantastic lineup. And, you know, to an, to an extent, it's it's almost been handpicked by myself and the team. So so what we have there through through top to bottom is is fantastic. I think you know having a regular heartbeat of new content, I think, is important um, for consumers to know that there's always going to be something new to come and check out. But I don't think it's about about hiding anything else. I think it's absolutely about the the sense of, well, if I come back next week, there might be something new to watch as well as all this other but great stuff many that people, I've already got there. Do many people trawl through the catalogue? I mean, what what's your sort of average user? Are they mainly going to new stuff? Or, no, absolutely not. It's, uh, it's, is it's there absolutely. a long tail that has substantial numbers? Yeah, there are. I mean, look, you, you, will, you will obviously see the most high-profile content launch very strongly in, in its opening week because there's advertising, there's marketing, there's on-platform promotion. We make sure that everyone's aware of our, our big new shows as they come in. But but the other shows that there is, a you know, the, the, the majority of viewing on a platform will come from all of the catalogue that's there because it's by very nature you're not going to get the, the top, you know, 5% of volume outweighing the the other you know ten and a half thousand hours of content you've got there so there's a there's a huge volume of content there that is very consistently viewed um you'll see peaks and troughs on new shows as they come in depending on on uh depending on what the show is um but you'll see a very consistent solid viewing of the catalogue i think a good example of that is um you see a show like friends right and you know obviously everyone knows that show and you know we've said before if you added up total viewing time on a single show friends is probably the most consumed show on the platform in terms of all of the hours that are watched and obviously it's clearly one of those titles in the library but the same could be said for a lot of those big um, either cult or classic shows where huge amounts of time is spent um, watching particularly the shows where we have every episode of every season available Um, effectively that's box sets right Um, and you know back to that point around what are consumers watching and signing up for I think in a lot of cases it's obviously those tentpole shows that um, get people to the point of going, actually, I've got to see this show, I'm going to sign up. Um, but what you see very quickly is in a consumer's, in a consumer's mind, if there's, if there's one particular show that you want to see, um, and let's say it's one of our fast-track shows, like you want to see Transparent Season 3, if you were to go and buy a show like that in a box set or a full season, you know, you're virtually paid for a year of stand in a single, in a mm. single show. And then the consumers get in there and they realise actually there is this entire library of programming um, that I don't want to give up. And then they also realise that you know every one to two weeks there's another show dropping on the platform. And so I think the combination of that, an amazingly deep and rich library and those tentpole shows that are dropping all the time is what has to be there in order to keep consumers engaged and you know loving the loving the service well, it's kind of what it, it's what delights consumers is that kind of serendipity of like you know i came in to watch better call Saul and i didn't realize you also had transparent or spaced or what you know whatever this whatever this other wonderful show is that 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 you know that that is equally worth my time but it may not have been what got me through the door but it's one of the things that i'll discover when i get in there 
Are you very angry with uh, Michael Healy and his colleagues at Nine because their conspiracy theorists have that Nine has agreed not to put anything good on after about 9, 9.30 at night, so all that audience will go to stand. But last week they had uh, Jean-Benet Ramsey investigation, which kept viewers up till 11 o'clock, and I'm thinking the stand numbers must have been down for two nights. No, no, look, I think it's a, it's a big, big world out there, and um, there's, there is... Plenty of consumer time being spent on consuming television and um, there's absolutely no doubt that as part of the growth of streaming in SVOD, we have accelerated um, the total time being spent on TV as a media. Um, so there's a huge amount of incremental time that's been created. And so I think it's it's not as simple as saying in the old world of free-to-air television, if they're not watching you know, Channel 9, they're watching another free-to-air station, um, we're adding incremental viewing time and we're also diversifying what people are watching in a household. So you, know, you probably find in the households that are watching that special that 9 ran in the next room, somebody else is watching Stan. So there's, you know, the, the, the delivery mechanism of streaming, um, the flexibility of it just means we're, we're, we're building the time that you know, consumers can consume great television content. But your prime time is a little later. Is it about is it about nine pm? Yeah, it's it's typically there? it's typically skewed slightly later than free to air. We've sort of talked about that as you know the the evolution of the new prime time um, and the new prime time in SVOD tends to be slightly later than than free to air. I think that's a a function of both um, viewing behaviours as people tune into free to air earlier and um, you know catch the stuff that is real time news and current affairs and the things that are absolutely must must get it when it's um, being broadcast and switch over to streaming later in the evening. But it's also a function of you know, the demographic of people in that earlier phase of market take-up um, who probably tend to be a little bit um, busier earlier in the evening and, and um, you know, making the choice to watch when they want to watch. You also see a slightly smaller peak kind of after school as well. So you can imagine okay. kids get home, spend a couple of hours that sort of thing, and then it is later in the evening after the kind of the, the peak rush. What sort of regulations govern the, govern the space you're in? I mean, are there censorship um, rules you have to um, follow, or have you pretty much open slather? Oh, look, we... Uh, we Self-regulation, apply, is it? Or we much? apply all the the, uh, the classifications from the classification board. So. Do you need to do that, though, or you just do that as a... Do you think you should? Oh, we absolutely... We, we need to provide consumer guidance. Yes, yeah, but there's no... Nothing enforcing you to do that, is it? Look, again, you know, with anything, you know, it doesn't really business, matter. I guess, doesn't it? you know, I think I think people would like some guidance around a particular show. I mean, you know, you look at some of our shows, and they could they could easily be misunderstood to be, you know, a different, you know, either a, a different uh, age classification. So, you know, I think it's important that we give guidance to the consumer. I think the important the important difference between uh, video on demand and, and linear is that linear by its nature can be fallen across so you just need to, to to change channels and you might be exposed to something you didn't realize whereas there's always an active decision to choose something on a video on demand service and the tools that we can give a consumer then based on these classifications that the shows get allow them to you know either they can basically a parent can make sure that a kid can't see anything above a certain classification so there's lots of parental um, tools in the built into the app that uh, that, that allow parents to really to really help work with their children on what they can watch. Yeah, you don't really want people going from friends to stumbling across maybe the incest relationship comedy Billy and Billy. It's a different different crowd. I think horses it, for the, horses. It, may, it may share a little bit of the same crowd, yeah, but yeah. yes, broadly, maybe not. not quite the same. Now, there were two events recently that I would assume had a fairly significant impact upon your viewership. Uh, the first being the Emmy Awards last week. Do you guys notice much of a shift towards some higher quality, higher caliber programs once they've gotten that lift from being mentioned on Yemis? Well, clearly all we have is high quality, well, uh, obviously. High quality programming. <laughs> so, uh, so it's just more high quality programming. Yeah. Uh, look, but I mean, obviously this... people hear the name, you know, billion somewhere, and then suddenly. Oh, I, I, you know, I yeah. think, you know, as ever, viewing tends to be driven by you know outside world as much as what's going on mm. uh, on the platform so it's not just what we launch it's it's what people are talking about outside uh, outside the environment so it, in, yeah. a, in a world where people are talking about transparent and billions and sherlock and all of those sort of shows obviously they see they see a little bit of a boost but it, i don't think it necessarily changes the shape of the viewing particularly so with transparent for example did you notice a particular shift that day where people are like oh that's right transparent because obviously it had people going back to rewatch the show because the new season's debuting yep. the week after mm-hmm. 
But like on that day of the Emmys, did you notice a few more people going back and checking out Transparent? It, it, it had a little bit of a boost, but at the yeah. same time, we're also warming up towards the launch of the third season, so we're mm. already marketing it in, yeah. uh, at pretty significantly above the line. So yes, absolutely a boost, but also it's it's seen a huge boost over the last month or so yeah. as people are going back to, to catch up ahead of the new season launching. Now, the other event was the Olympics recently. And I was just wondering, did you find that to be a negative or positive impact with so many people focused on sports? Were people looking for that alternative with you or was it kind of business as usual? I think for the most part it was it was business as usual. The the wonderful thing about about VOD again is it mm. it fits into your life. That's the whole point is you can you know, if, yep. if people are you know, a, a an event happening at three AM doesn't necessarily impact our core viewing times particularly. So um, you know, we certainly, in, from a consumption point of view, absolutely, uh, the, the the same volume was being uh, was being consumed across the platform over yeah. the Olympic period. I'm just wondering what sort of things you guys have learnt. I mean, let's start with the content, maybe. I mean, because we sit here, you're, you look very relaxed. Mike's always, you know, very relaxed on top of his game. <laughs> it almost seems like a perfect Harvard Business School um, case study you, you've had here. But there, there's surely there's things where you, you know, it, it didn't all go exactly according to plan. What did you do? Overestimate things? Underestimate anything? What what sort of learnings have you made? Look, I, th- I think, um, you know. Realistically, if I could take this whole thing and replay it all over again, I think we'd do everything exactly the same. And maybe it sounds a little bit arrogant to say that, but um, whether great planning, whether you know, great team members that we've had on board, um, you know, whether confidence from our shareholders and our board, um, we've managed to make a lot of decisions which I think are, in hindsight, have turned out to be very right. And in some respects you know, even surprise me. I kind of go, how did we end up... Some of the things to, to reflect on are, you know, we were commissioning shows like Wolf Creek and No Activity when we were literally weeks into this business. Um, and it's hard to remember the levels of, you know, stress that we were dealing with at the time. I haven't forgotten. <laughs> nobody hasn't forgotten. But, but in hindsight, you know, those turned out to be such important moves that we made very early on that obviously paid off once the shows were you know commissioned no activity being nominated for three logies uh last year and wolf creek just being such a standout success i mean that's one example but there are so many examples where you know i think we made decisions very early on either prior to launching or post launching where um you know i feel very grateful that you know that we made those decisions and we had the right people around um, to have the foresight to make those decisions now, in the marketplace, we've seen relative stability since Netflix entered in. So there's been more or less the same core group of companies that are competing. But obviously, we're hearing rumors at the moment of Amazon entering the local market. Uh, I'm sure that you guys are having conversations about that to a certain degree. But you do have a number of programs which are marquee stands titles, which do have affiliation with Amazon. So Transparent being one of them, Mozart in the Jungle being another. Uh, first of all, is there any concern about those programs disappearing to Amazon once it does launch in the country? No, look, um, and again, it's we're not sort of in a position to sit down and talk through the detail of our details of our licensing agreements. You know, there is a speculation. I think I think we probably all expect that um, Amazon. We, we actually expect that Amazon would probably launch before the end of 2016. Mm. Um, so sometime between late this year and early next year, they they are expected to launch in the market. Um, and that being the case, um, the first run on on our shows that have come through um, the Sony deal will continue to be first run on the stand platform. Yeah. Uh, the concern I'd maybe have sort of for where stand sits in it all is that we talked about Australians being fairly price conscious, okay, and they're certainly more than willing to pay for content now. And I think stand has definitely sort of moved the earth a little bit to get people to think that I oh, paying $10 a month actually will, you know, bring some value that torrents aren't necessarily doing that. Mm. However, there's got to be a point where there's only a certain number of these services that your average consumer will subscribe to. Now, I'll subscribe to everything. Like, my <coughs> monthly bank balance is just shot completely because of SVOD services. But uh, you'd have to think the average person is looking at maybe two to three services. Um, how does Stan promote themselves as being, you know, one of those core services that people actually do need within this? Yeah, so look, um, I think I think you're probably right around that sort of duplication of the two to three services. Um, if you sort of project out what happens to this market, and it's already a big market today, it's going to, it's got plenty of growth um, as penetration continues to kick up. There is plenty of room, certainly in our projections, for the size of the market and our own business plan for two to three players and niche players in the market. So I don't think there's no concern about um, you know the entrance of Amazon being detrimental because this is not a game that's 
that is going to be limited to a you know to a two player game or mm. potentially even a three player game. Um, the market is going to be very big, um, and the most important thing becomes the strength of your lineup and being able to clearly differentiate. And if you look at Stan's lineup over the next twelve months, as we you know announced recently at our um, media briefing, uh, obviously uh, content is subjective. But I look at what are probably the, the top say fifteen shows in the world, and seven or eight of those shows will be exclusive first run um, premieres on the stand platform. So it's all about making sure that you're delivering a premium proposition to the consumer and you can continue to, to differentiate that proposition. An important part of it, obviously, is our partners from Showtime. And if you look at the biggest networks from around the world, HBO, Showtime, and Netflix to a certain degree um, being referred to as a global network, um, we have a, an output deal which means every single show that is produced and created by Showtime um, comes across exclusively to our our platform. So we've got we've got um, certain supply through output deals with, uh, if not the biggest, one of the biggest networks in the world, as well as a number of other studio deals which are long term um, with life of series. We've got our own original productions. There's absolutely no concern for us in, in a very short space of time. And this probably comes back to um, to the question from James before about you know things that we would do or not do differently. You know, having the foresight to make some of these big commitments and take up deals like Showtime at a very important point in our uh, growth cycle has set Stan up to be in a position to be able to consistently deliver um, top tier premium content um, at a price that we're certain about. So, you know, we've, we've got a level of certainty um, in our in our future outlook when it comes to you know our lineup. Yeah. So you're not going to be trying to diversify. So same day toilet paper deliveries try to compete in that front uh no look i no. think um I, I think amazon amazon is well known as a as a retailer um and look i think that's probably one of the other interesting things just to see um you know amazon has a big brand and um and they're probably better known in australia as a retailer retailer than a streamer um and you know they're going to be coming into this market um somewhere between sort of 18 months and 24 months into um you know the development of the market so there's a you know there's a slightly different world in australia um in the streaming space than has been the case in other in other markets yeah i'm um yeah there was a story on uh, nine news on um monday night this week about the launch of impending launch of amazon here I, mm. I didn't follow that too much but most people think they're not too far away mm. do uh, we well, ass- apparently they're launching in india sometime soon that's their <laughs> first step in the global do we up. assume that um the top gear um the top gear chaps will be seen here at one appear anywhere else before amazon would you think I'm not asking um, for inside well, knowledge we don't have anything <laughs> to announce in that if that's what you if that's what you're <laughs> no, no, um but you so- and look, and I think I think uh, you know obviously Amazon hasn't yet you know disclosed what their plans are. So certainly would we wouldn't uh, talk on their behalf. Um, you know we know that they're they've got global expansion plans and they're rolling out those markets. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily use that as you know any more insight that they've had a, a whole range of programs over the last kind of eighteen months which they're holding back distribution globally on. So there's so a few things, is there? There's a yeah. few things, but I mean not not you know there's there's four or five things. So I think. I don't think that necessarily points to a, to anything. Okay, a couple of quick other things on content. The movies, where do you get your... Do you have deals with certain studios? Do you pick things off? What? How do you run your movie selection? Uh, so we have a... You know, the, the, the big deal we have is, is a pay-one uh, arrangement with, uh, with Village Roadshow and for, you know... A slightly industry way of saying it's the first window after DVD um, uh-huh. for, for all of the titles that Village Roadshow... Uh, release and in addition we've got you know a a a, a large selection of of catalogue and library films from from very recent uh, with themselves and and with a with a range of other studios including Paramount and MGM and Studio Canal and Madman and you know there's a real range and and how we select them you know uh, ultimately I think that the the initial launch was was uh, spent. Three or four months trawling through every available list in the uh, in in the land and and finding what was available and uh, and then as we've progressed, what we do is we look at what what we see our audience is viewing and we use that to absolutely inform how we uh, how we um, change our selections uh, uh, in the future. And just a little bit more on that uh, Showtime deal. It was a little bit of criticism. People thought, "Oh, you're spending a lot of money, and they, they don't have a lot of content." But you could obviously see down the pipeline of some of the stuff they had would have had in development then, which has since been announced. Mm. And gee whiz, it seems to have been a um, a, a good. It's good a it's a good time for Showtime at the moment. Yeah. I think uh, you know c- certainly. 
you know we had we had visibility on on things like uh, on things like Twin Peaks, which you know for me will absolutely stop the world next year as we all uh, as we all tune in to see what it uh, what it is like. Uh, really can't wait to see that. But but you know things like uh, things like purity. In particular, I think show the ambition of that uh, of that network to really make the highest quality TV uh, that anyone's making out there at the moment. And what? purity being the upcoming Daniel Craig. Yes, sorry. So yeah. yes, up- upcoming yeah. Daniel Craig um, uh, twenty part uh, thriller um, expected late next year. What's what Showtime stuff don't you have initially that you might have as that with this pre existing before your deal? Was it was think, Homeland yeah. one of their shows? Well, Homeland, Homeland was a so, so co-production that doesn't typically fit inside their normal kind of output definition. But broadly, okay. and we sort of spoke about this when we when we announced the Showtime deal, um, obviously everything going forward comes directly to us exclusively, and there are a number of shows which are either current, um, still running, or uh, in library where, as their licences are rolling over um, from their existing deal, will come across exclusively. So effectively what hap- what's happening right now is the entire catalogue of um, library shows from Showtime, some of the biggest shows uh, in the world, um, transitioning across on stand whilst all of the brand new shows premiere. Um, so we're really starting to see already uh, a massive lineup of you know the exclusive catalogue plus new shows building on the platform. Right. And just, I've mentioned this to you before, I think, just chatting casually, you're, who, who should get the kudos for your sort of the look and feel of your interface? I mean, it's just very simple to use. It looks dead smart. It's, you know, creatively, they've done a great job in the design. Oh, look, I've, you know, I've got a great product team um, that, that worked for me. Um, uh, and, and they, I mean, right from the beginning, we set out to declutter uh, the environment. I think it was really important that the, that the focus needed to be on the content and the focus needed to be helping the customer and the viewer get to what they want to watch as quickly as possible and not not trying to be too whizzy or bangy with, with any of the, the, um, the functionality. It is, it is to make, make a service that, that basically helps people watch as much of the content that they want to watch. And uh, local content, I mean, Jungle seems to be your um, first port of call for most things. I mean, you've commissioned with screen time. Um, most production companies we talk to say, oh, we've had chats with um, with Stan and, you know, pitched them things. Uh, are there other, th- do you think, will you envisage yourself spreading out and um, having more content suppliers in times to come? Oh, of course. I think, uh, you know, Jungle obviously made our, our first uh, original in, in no activity and have the second season launching in a in a few weeks um so so we have a great relationship with them and we've got a, a couple of shows uh, in development with them but we've got shows in development with uh, with a range of other producers as well and and i would envisage that continuing we we want to make the best content possible so we will talk to everyone uh to identify what that is can you pay free-to-air budgets or are there sort of levels? Do people need to understand that, you know, you maybe have a different business model? Oh, look, I think Mike um, has talked um, uh, you know, at length about looking at the Netflix model and flipping it on its head. So what we certainly were able to do with Wolf Creek is it's, it's a show that I think looks as good as any Australian TV show has ever looked. So you can see that there wasn't a scrimp on the budget there. But by thinking about these shows not just in terms of making them for an Australian and a a stand audience but also looking at how we make them for a world audience you can look at the way those these shows are funded and it allows you to get to the to the budgets you need to make great quality tv shows while still building a a financial footing that makes it a sustainable business for us yeah Uh, considering that there's so much uh, mobile consumption of platforms like stan is there any sort of real consideration given to short form content or is it really about the half hour and above I, I, I've not seen short form work in a subscription environment mm. anywhere. I think I think at the I think we've built an interface that, and and thank you again that is wonderfully simple and is designed really well to consume long form content. And I think you know all of the functionality that comes with that in terms of you know uh, you know episodes flowing into next episodes and 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 designing to to ultimately be sat down and watched for period on end uh, is is what that has been designed to do now that doesn't mean there's not a world for short form content but i just don't really see that entering into the subscription market it feels like that's very much something that exists within the the ad supported the ad supported market yeah none of the world leading services really seems to double in that space i think one of the important things to clarify there is whilst there is potentially a perception out there around mobile and tablet consumption the vast majority 
of content consumed mm. um, on an SVOD platform is big screen television. So, you know, the number's up around 70% of consumption um, across big screens. That's before you get into tablets and, and mobile devices. And um, so it's absolutely a big screen platform. Um, the average bit rate that consumers are consuming our content is in the HD range. So people aren't consuming this stuff in SD on small screens. They're consuming it in high definition on big screens across you know, our Apple TV, whether it's with Telstra TV, on PlayStations, on Samsung Smart TVs, LG Smart TVs, every big screen device. So it's, I think it's really important that you know, what we're really seeing is a, is a business that is it's television, you know, and, yeah. and most of that consumption that is happening uh, on those other devices, if it's a tablet, as you probably know, a lot of it is in, you know, the second screen in the house, you know, sitting up in bed or with the kids. Mm. And the mobile device really is kind of the fallback to go and maybe just pick up some shows in between when I really need to, but it's not a, it's not a big part of the platform viewing. I mean, part of that might be because there's such shitty data allowances from the telcos in Australia. Oh, look, I don't... I mean, I think in other in other nations where you've seen cheaper data for, for longer periods of time, I, I, yeah. you know, the, the, the sort of viewing figures I would see in the UK very much back up what we see here. It's, it's you know, in the end, it's telly, and that, that kind of informed every big decision we made was it's got to look, fell and, you know, smell, smell and feel like telly. Yeah. Um, quality length of shows the sort of shows that people watch and most of them are consumed on the big screen yeah now as a regular train commuter i'm regularly looking at other people's screens and seeing what they're doing invariably i'm watching a lot of downloaded tv being watched is that a bit of a concern for you that there's an untapped market there where you can actually try to get onto those screens while people are commuting either by signing a deal made with optus as they've just done with netflix to provide data free streaming or maybe offline downloads yeah look again it's um both of those things are, you know, things that we consider. We've always we always keep a very close track on what consumers are demanding. So, mm. you know, we look at we look closely at all product features, whether it be um, download, like you see with um, uh, some particular platforms. So, absolutely, you know, something we keep an eye on. Um, and in terms of uh, you know data, with I think the trend generally with uh, with telcos is towards as it has been in you know in broadband categories towards. Um, more data, faster and cheaper. So whether it's unmetered or whether it's just more at a cheaper price, there's no doubt that the trend is towards making it much more and more accessible on, you know, on uh, mobile devices. Mm. Does Stan have any unmetered deals with any telco? Um, so Stan is unmetered on the Optus network. Okay. Um, so this is uh, being as, just as broadband, fixed, not fixed mobile. Network, not talking yeah. about the the mobile network. Um, and look, you know, there's some other. We, we've had a range of different discussions, and what what we've generally seen with the broadband networks, and you know, take uh, our partnership with Telstra as an example. You know, that the the size of the packages that consumers are getting in their you know in their standard monthly uh, packages are now being sized um, at the level that can accommodate um, you know household streaming behaviour. So, you know, the need to be unmetered has somewhat dissipated in the last sort of 12, 24 months, even prior to streaming. Um, really taking off when we launched in in 2015 by the size of the data you get. And there's a lot of ISPs that are also unlimited anyway. So again, in a world where you're on an unlimited package, unmetering is an irrelevant um, concept. Sure. The um, Netflix publishes, I think they call their broadband speed index Mm. every month. Do you find, um, you probably look at that, does that match up with what what you're finding out there in the market? Like Telstra rank? close to the bottom of the five i think they monitor optus is usually higher up or yeah. tpg look, it does quite well look we've we we obviously can see the same data we we track the speeds across the across the network i mean we don't publish any uh, indexes and we certainly don't sit there month to month and compare i mean we, we really don't look at the netflix speed index so i couldn't tell you you know if what we're seeing is consistent with netflix speed index but what we do is work very closely um, you know, with our product and technology teams, with the the ISP um, technical teams and our own uh, CDN partner Akamai to ensure that we're monitoring and, and we have a real time um, monitoring tool and process with our our technology team where they're looking at any potential bottlenecks. Um, if they see bottlenecks, there's discussions that take place with our CDN provider and with ISPs to make sure we're getting the um, you know, the optimised streaming experience for all consumers geographically. The Can you tell, you were talking before about um, uh, devices and stuff like that, but if I'm 
using the app on my iPad, but I stream that to my TV, you couldn't tell, could you, whether I was watching on the iPad or or yeah. So if, or you're, if you're air playing it to a if bigger you're air playing, effectively what happens in a in the in the world of airplay, you're effectively handing off the stream. So okay. it, to you, it may feel like you're actually streaming to your iPad, and that stream is then going to your Apple TV. What's actually happening is your iPad and the app and the stand application is actually handing over the stream directly to the Apple TV. So the Apple TV is actually taking your stream directly, okay. but at the instruction of the of the app. So it's a small uh, and and for that reason, we can tell if you are if you're Chromecasting or if you're airplaying. Um, our platforms are able to detect which way your your device streams routing. And the way you've been talking, I gather there's pretty much a broad spread of um, different devices and things people use. There's not really dominant things that mm. um, that sort of. I think that's one of the um, you know one of the interesting things, and and I think it's obviously positive in terms of um, you know consumer behaviour is that we have a very distribu- distributed spread of consumption across. You know all of those platforms that I, that I rattled off. We're we're on you know every major um, big screen platform that's available, and um, and what that does is gives gives consumers choice. And because consumers ultimately have chosen a lot of different devices out there in their respective households, means we have quite an even spread. Um, you know across all the most popular um, streaming devices. If you had to give us a summary of the the most typical stand user. Would it be a man or a woman? What age would it be? And what sort of tech would they have? Oh, look, I think, I, I, I understanding mean, that there's, that's, there is a lot of We've spoken about you know having more than 550,000 active subs, which converts to um, over 1.3 million active subscribers using the platform. And I think if I was to kind of pull out the average of that, I think we'd be kind of stereotyping considerably. Right. We have such a broad range of of usage you know from um if you took the the averages i mean on a on a demo basis i'll tell you that our our demographic split is roughly 50 50 on male female um but the what what has been quite interesting to us is that the distribution across um age groups kind of from 20 through to 40 is a lot more even than you would have you know i think the cliche is that um, people streaming are uh, in that 20 to 30 age bracket and actually it spreads much more evenly across a wider age bracket and it actually spreads further up into the you know 60 plus age bracket than what I think a lot of people predict so it's a much flatter distribution across age brackets and it's it's almost 50 50 male female do you track your um I mean again I'm, I'm referring to Netflix and I don't want to make this a Netflix versus Stan thing but it was just interesting that chart they update every now again the number of episodes people need to watch before they consider a viewer is hooked Mm. do you have any sort of um stats around stuff like that oh look we have the we have very we have access to all the same sort of information i think as as per you know what they released i think um it will vary on a show by show basis you know i think notoriously there are shows that take you know seven eight nine 15 22 episodes to really kind of hook yourself into like a yeah. breaking bad uh, and there are other shows that you can kind of get to the end of the first episode and you just know you want to you want to sit down and kind of binge the lot so so yeah absolutely we can kind of see where there's that trigger point where you know that people are going to go and consume the rest mm. of that series because they're hooked but that isn't necessarily the same number of episodes into each series what would be amongst the sort of uh stan heroin if you like the stuff that um people have really wanted to jump on to um... i think We've, uh, you know, something like, um, I, I guess, um, I'll uh, have a look at what... It's actually younger, I think, actually, probably at the moment has been the one that so, surprised me oh, the really? most. Because okay. I think it's... Look, it's a wonderful show, and we knew it was a wonderful show when it was launched, but even just the sheer scale of the kind of the consumption of it uh, in the first week or two just, just showed that people, once they'd watched one or two episodes, really could, Plus it's couldn't a, get the rest of it. What is it, 20-something minutes? 22 so minutes. So it's and easy I, to snap through a whole And bunch, I think to an extent, it? the ones, you know, if, if there is a kind of a theme, I think it probably is that some of the shorter, you know, some of the 22, 23-minute episodes tend to be ones that people snap into quite quickly because by the nature of their structure, they kind of give you a, a kind of a contained story and, and lead you straight into the next one, whereas, a, you know, a show that has an hour, an hour and 10-minute pilot... Yeah, it can take 
Yeah, yeah. Sure. It needs to do a lot right to make you uh, want to watch the next one straight away. Yeah. So, are there many stats on how many people are watching, well, binge watching all of the West Wing, reaching the end, and then just starting over again, or is that my household? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think there is. There's one household I think that does. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. I may know about that one. Was, um, when we launched Friends, I have to say there was there was um, you know there was a uh, subscriber on the platform, and obviously we look at sort of numbers very broadly, and um, you know we don't see people's details, but there was. Uh, a limited number of people from the launch of that show that watched the entire two, I'm going to say 236 or 238 episodes um, within five days and, you know, work out what that actually means. It basically means, you know, every waking hour you are watching episode to episode to episode. So it does happen, you know. There's, there's, There's some pretty serious binge watchers out there. That is impressive. Now, Nick, my final question for you. Uh, you get to travel around a fair bit, see some content sort of globally. You're at the Toronto Film Festival recently. Yep. Um, I'm guessing you've seen all the new broadcast shows that have been hitting US airwaves over the last uh, few weeks. Not quite all of them. No. But, uh, but I've seen a, a fair a fair few. Uh, are there any standouts for you? And can we expect to see maybe one or two of them crop up on Stan sometime soonish? Oh, look, I think uh, without, again, blowing our own trumpet, but I guess that's what we're here to do. Yes. Uh, you know, the real standout show for me that I saw at the screenings uh, this year uh, was a show called I'm Dying Up Here, which is a Showtime program which will launch uh, sometime in the first half of next year. Just an outstanding piece of television. Everything that's great about kind of premium TV at the moment, uh, set in the 70s, it's about the stand-up uh, the, you know, the stand-up uh, scene in LA. Uh, you know, tragedy, funny great characters you know really you know a, a lot of press about uh, about twin peaks but that to me feels like it could be the real the real kind of breakout in the first half of next year for mm. for uh, showtime so there's there's absolutely that one look i was i was a fan of designated survivor i'll be honest yeah. with you so I, I see that's popped up on netflix this week and i think that was a that was a strong program there was some you know I, you know it was a it was very much a year of uh movie remakes so lethal weapon was was a was as strong as any uh, i think in that space and uh i think it was movie remakes and uh time travel uh, yeah programs like five time be, travel shows yeah so yeah. um they, they kind of blurred into one but i think there were a couple that were, were were certainly above average yeah have you seen macgyver i have seen <laughs> some of macgyver uh, I have also seen some of MacGyver. So not not through anything deliberate, but um, uh, when we were in uh, at the screenings, uh, we'd o- they only had about twenty five minutes of it uh, ready to show. Uh, yeah. But well, you know, it's MacGyver. I deliberately turned it off. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm clearly not quite as discerning. <laughs> yeah, now you're just back from the Toronto Film yeah. Festival too, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. So, and that now they showed. Was there a sneak of Twin Peaks or something? That- uh, there was a sneak of Transparent. Uh, so the first three episodes were shown there, okay. and, uh, and Jill Soloway was there to intro that. So that was uh, that was good to see, uh, and just you know, films, films generally. Uh, it's uh, it's it's the biggest public film festival in the world, but also has a really solid market that that accompanies it. Do you need to go to Cannes? Do you, or do you have someone there? Uh, we tend not to go to Cannes, but we do go to to MIPCOM and MIPTV as the as the two big markets over oh, sorry, in France. Sorry, yeah. yeah, no, so absolutely. So um, I'll, I'll be at MIPCOM in a couple of weeks, Mike. We there as well so you know keeping keeping in touch with the uh the the networks and studios overseas just to to keep in touch with what's going on do you tend to buy much outside of your output deals uh, yeah a heap you know yeah. the, the output so deals in the end are cherry picks things oh, completely, here and there completely and and you know it's it's actually what what makes you know running content for an SVOD service probably the best content job you can have is because it, it, you're not confined to slots. You're not necessarily confined to specific audiences. What you're confined to is buying the best content uh, out there because that's what people want to watch. And and by you know immersing yourself in as much content as possible, you can really handpick uh, what is the best content out there. And and whether that comes, you know, I think I think we've backed the right horse absolutely in terms of Showtime and what what a lineup they have at the moment but that doesn't mean we won't be uh, we won't be cherry picking everything else along our, the way our business is now in that you know at the scale and at the point in time where we are we're basically always buying there's never a point in time where we're not buying whether we're buying for next month or you know generally speaking our schedules short term we fill them up earlier but if the right programming comes along and if we think it's going to move the needle and consumers are going to love it we'll go after it again whether it's something that's short term or whether it's looking at longer term deals that might you know, we we'll work on things that might be a year out um, as we start to see, you know, strategic opportunities. So always buying and uh, always doing deals, and that's the way you get the best shows. 
Do you have an attitude to content that's been on free-to-air? I mean, do you really, is it all about trying to get first run or sometimes you, no, no, if, if it's it, good, you're not that fussy? No, if, if it's good, it's good. And, and if, if it's, you know, I, I think I, I think what free-to-air is having to do, and particularly in the States, I think broadcast TV is having to adapt to what the SFOD players are doing. And, and I think they're adapting their storytelling to make it suit an environment. You know, t- broadcast TV has traditionally been made to be consumed in one-hour-long bites with a week between it. That hasn't necessarily made it the best-suited content for an environment where you have you know, a box set available or it's designed to binge. So I think TV is changing, and TV TV generally is getting better. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a wonderful place to work at the moment. There's so much great stuff being made few more quick things before we wrap up what genres are a hard work that that just you know that just don't pull a big crowd or or the numbers you'd like to see i think are there some i you know i think tv consumption on on svod platforms has favored uh really narratively driven uh, content. So whether that's scripted comedies and dramas, or whether that's even even if you you think about the 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 uh, factual content that's worked best, like a making the murderer for making make murderer for uh, for Netflix, it's actually factual content that tells a very strong narrative as well. So I think that's that's really what drives the very best sort of content for this. Is is you know a, a you know effectively what you have is a, is a you know a book told over six chapters in in a six part series or a ten part series and 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 so whether and I don't think that necessarily favors one genre over another mm. because it can be scripted or it can be factual it can be a comedy it can be a drama I think lifestyle can be tough I think to but but having said that there are great lifestyle programs that do have real strong narrative threads running through them that can really suit the environment as well so i don't think it's necessary about genre as much as it's about structure and the sort of con the, the, the sort of narratives that people want to watch in this environment i think what's great about streaming and sport in general is <clears throat> very very different to the world of traditional tv not every show has to be a blockbuster you know when you when you're buying or creating shows for free-to-air tv in a prime time slot You've got to pull the biggest audience in a single slot and you've got to generate advertising dollars. Um, we don't have to do that. You know, we, we look at every show independently and we look at the cost of the show. Um, of course, you've got your big tent poles and you want those shows to be big and you want lots of eyeballs, but there's equally plenty of great shows which are niche and we know are niche um, and we buy them for a niche audience and we pay the right money for the niche audience. And so that's that's the big difference in acquiring and making on, a, on an SVOD platform you don't have to be looking to shoot a cannonball every time you buy a show. You know, you can also be catering you can, to the, you can to help the niches. And you can take your time to find an audience. And, uh, you know, again, back to what, what has really revolutionised TV with SVOD is it's allowed those sort of shows to be made. A show like Transparent would never have been made by a network five years ago. There's just no network that would have commissioned it. But uh, through, through enabling... Um, you know, niche audiences to find some of the very best programming. SVOD platforms provide the best place to go and consume content. I think no activity content. the same thing. Absolutely. No, no activity wouldn't have been a, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing Australian comedy which probably wouldn't have found um, a home on a traditional free-to-air network. Um, but it's been absolutely amazing for us. A couple of quick things too on audiences. I mean, a lot of people are interested in trying to track audiences, work out who's watching what... Um, Without giving the game away, do you, when you buy things, does the size of the audience affect what you might pay for it, or do you pretty much buy on flat fees? And and do you have to share audiences with the the people who supply the content to you, or not necessarily? I mean, without talking about any of our commercial relationships hmm. and how they work, one thing I can say: we don't. All of our licensing is fixed fee, so we don't pay variable. So they really just care about the money. At the end of the day, yeah. At the end of the day, you're buying out a license and you're buying out a license window. Those windows can vary. The rights classes can vary, but ultimately, you're paying a a flat fee to own the content, um, and you're building a business around that. That um, interesting work being done by the little research firm that grew out of uh, Auckland, I think, Paradigm Analytics, and they've opened up uh, in other markets around the world. I guess you guys see that stuff. Uh, any sort of thoughts about that? Um, and they're starting to release some of their mm. Australian data. Yeah, I think they've done some, some great work, and we know some of the guys in New Zealand that they've worked with, and we've seen some of the things. I think, um, you know, some, some very interesting insights. Um, and, and some of the... Um, the methodologies that they're using um, 
they're kind of consistent with the things that we do. I mean, we are consistently tracking the noise on social media with social media tracking tools, um, as well as our own feedback from brand position and marketing market, as well as um, noise around particular shows overseas. And I think they've probably done a great job of sort of bringing that together and packaging it up and drawing out some specific insights. But absolutely all the stuff they're talking about in terms of just having a temperature check um, on noise about a show, it's absolutely critical to understand that um, and make sure that, you know, if, you, if you're buying a show, there's plenty of early indicators, um, whether it's in relation to, you know, creative talent, um, acting talent, um, or the brand of the show itself, which is probably why you're seeing a few remakes of movies coming into TV series um, and those sorts of things. But, yeah, I think uh, some really interesting stuff that comes out. It's very consistent with, um, you know, how we listen to the market today. Finally, Dan, let's let these guys plug away. October, in a few days, what's going to be your... Um you must watch stuff. What are you excited about, October? Well, it would seem remiss not to talk about no activity. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, for those who didn't see the first season, what have you been doing with yourselves, seriously? <laughs> um, but the second season, I think it takes it to another, takes it to another level. We've got, um, you know, some fantastic, uh, fantastic new stars in there with... Uh, with uh, Damon Herriman, uh, fresh off some of the best uh, reviews uh, for any uh, any performance uh, out of the States at the moment uh, for his show with um, uh, HBO uh, Cinemax. Uh, Quarry. And Quarry, yeah, which has just been getting fantastic, uh, fantastic notices. Um, and, then, and then Rose Byrne uh, as, as a... How did they secure kidnapped? Rose Byrne? I mean, she's turned into this hot comedic actress on these sort of uh, edgy US comedy movies. It's yeah, amazing. I, I think yeah. if you'd said five years ago that uh, Rose Byrne would be known as a comic actress, <laughs> I think you know, you'd, you'd have been laughed at. But, but yeah. she's extraordinary, and she's extraordinary in this as well. And I know, you know her, and, her and Damon and, and, and her and Trent, uh, who's the creator, uh, are all very close. So, you know, it's, we're incredibly lucky to, to get access to both of the two of them because they are you know, two of Australia's finest uh, acting talent. And then we've got the whole crew back together, um, some real, you know, and I think, you know, take it in a little bit of a different direction, you know, both funny, sad, moving. I think it's great. And I can't wait to, can't wait to show it out, to show it to the rest of the world. So uh, that, and then uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead is, is wonderful for those, uh, again, who, who, like me, who grew up on the Evil Dead films during the, uh, the 80s and 90s. It was, uh, it, it really felt like when that first season launched last year that someone had finally made that sequel that we'd all been waiting for. So mm. look, it's, it's, uh, it's, and, and, you know, this year, it, it already having seen the first couple of episodes, it feels like you know it, it took a couple of episodes to find its feet in the first season. It mm. really has launched straight in. It's super confident. It's just yeah, it's fantastic. It was, it was a real standout last year, Ash versus Evil Dead, and um, premieres in October. We have also announced that Bruce Campbell is coming to Australia for Stan okay. wow. um, later in October. We'll have some more to announce around exactly what we're doing with him here but the fans can that's expect if I, that's to, if I let him go <laughs> the fans, I can, the fans can expect to get an opportunity to uh, um, to see Bruce Campbell um, out here with us we'll announce those activities of course um, he'll be speaking to media as well at the same time so you know that's a real uh, a real coup for us as well for fans who've stayed this long in the podcast you're about to wind it up anything you can sort of um, any little um Gifts you can um, drop, uh, <laughs> Gifts you can Mike. Drop. You know, anything, <laughs> anything uh, coming up pre-Christmas that we should look out for, or hints oh. of things that we should look out for. I've got a few things. Uh, I've got a few things brewing. Yeah, look, no, we're not did, ready to announce we, we yet. Jump, we jump straight into October, but the reality is, as as we all know, Transparent is massive. It just yep. premiered last weekend. Um, the the next season of Younger. So as as Nick said, it has absolutely gone off in terms of the first two seasons on the platform, and the third season is fast tracking from September thirty. So. It's not even October yet, and we've still got another show that we're going to drop before the end of the month. So there are a stack of new shows um, coming to Stan. Um, get on and take a look. Will you have a second birthday uh, stunt or event, do you think? We'll see, mate. If we do, you'll be invited. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And good. just a quick mention, too, Circus. Dan and I both love the circus. Yeah, and the, the presidential um, debate I... episode should promise to be fascinating if so if people haven't dipped into that one it's yeah, I do just think great people TV. may look back at it as a kind of the, almost a definitive account of, of of the madness that is going on at the moment yeah wonderful stuff look um mike and nick from our uh, stand look really appreciate uh getting the insights from you guys keep up the good work and um we'll look forward to those uh, future surprises yeah thanks james thanks yeah. dan thank, thank you, you.